The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
Good morning, Ecclesia. We are so, so excited that you're here with us today. Join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for every single person watching alongside us today. May they continue to feel your love, your presence, and your comfort in their day-to-day -day lives. We love you, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Dust we are and shall return. 
If you don't build it With labor in vain Without your spirit We stand with no strength I know my time Is passing away But the works of your hands are what will remain. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Just to number the length of our days Pour out your power, oh, pour out your praise Teach us to run, to finish the race Only what's done Love will remain Let the favor of the Lord Rest upon us Oh Lord Establish the work of our
Join me now in worship through offering. Say this prayer along with me. God, our provider and sustainer, you bind all of creation together, every molecule a gift from your hand. The life and love of Jesus display the power of generosity. Two fish and five loaves multiplied to feed thousands. We give because we belong to you and to one another. We give trusting that you will use these gifts to do what none of us can do alone. We open our hands in joy and hope. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hello, Ecclesia. Uh, good to be with you again. So during this season, we know we're offering a lot of opportunities for you to connect. And since many of them require you to sign up in advance, we've been actively looking for ways to make that easier for you. And we found a great option. It's through something called the Church Center app. This app is by far the easiest way we have found to sign up for everything from outdoor Eucharist to the kids' Lent experience to Wednesday Vespers uh, and more. All you have to do is go to the app store for your device, whether it's the iOS app store or the Google Play store and search for Church Center. It's so popular that it will auto-populate before you, even before you finish typing. The app is a little white box with a bluish green church building on it. And then you can just click on get or install or download and it'll start that process of installing it on your phone. Once you download and open the app for the first time, it'll prompt for your mobile phone number and send you a secure code that you use to log on. You don't even need a password. How great is that? Once you're in, search for Ecclesia so you can be sure to find all the relevant info we will make available for you. When you hit the Ecclesia landing page, you'll notice that Eric and our communications team have done a remarkable job of putting the most useful info right at your fingertips, and it looks great. In the middle is the events tab at the bottom. Simply tap on that tab, and you can start scrolling and searching for the events you're looking for. Which reminds me, I actually forgot to register for Ash Wednesday, so I'll go ahead and open up uh, my app and do that. Let's find Church Center. There we go, events, Ash Wednesday, there it is. And with two clicks, I'm registered, done, got my email. So it literally is that simple. Um, no camera tricks, it's that easy. So there's a lot more this app can do. It can help you find groups. You can update your personal information. You can even do things like give and set up or change recurring giving. And it does all of this securely. So Ecclesia, we're excited about this and we hope that you uh, use this and it makes it easier for you to join the things that we're doing both in person and virtually. We love you. We can't wait to see you.
And Ecclesia, your first opportunity to sign up is going to be for our outdoor Eucharist experiences that we're hosting every Sunday on the west side. We've got two different time slots. That's at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. It's outdoor, it's very safe, it's, but it's also very sacred and a great chance to be together, uh, to sing, to take communion and celebrate that together, and also to share a brief, short sermon that will mirror and match what we're doing online. And you may notice that it's been a little chilly here in Houston, so I'm actually on my way to the store after we film this to get a bunch of heaters that we can put out in the parking lot to help make that a little bit more bearable. Uh, we're doing everything we can to prepare for whatever, whatever elements may come so that we don't have to cancel and we can do this. Uh, consistently. Which brings me to something I'm excited to tell you about that starting next Sunday on February 21st, we're going to begin doing outdoor Eucharist downtown as well. Again, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. It's going to be very similar to what we're doing at the west side, just at a different location. Uh, you can sign up for that at our website, ecclesiahouston.org, or you can go to the Church Center app to sign up for those. We cannot wait to see you in person. You don't want to miss it. And next, this Wednesday actually kicks off the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday, and we're so excited to get to celebrate this season of Lent together. And we're offering a few times where we can uh, celebrate Ash Wednesday um, both in person as well as remotely. Uh, so we're offering two services outdoors, uh, one at 12 p.m. noon at our downtown campus and the other um, at 6 p.m. at our west side campus. And again, we'll have some space heaters and some other things there if it will be cold, which it looks like it might, uh, just again, to make it a little bit more bearable. And then for anyone who wants to participate online, uh, we do midweek Vespers every Wednesday at 8 p.m. via Zoom. Uh, we're gonna have a special Ash Wednesday version as well for that. So all of that you can sign up for. You can go to ecclesiahouston.org slash Lent and you can find everything that's connected to Lent there. And again, you can find all that in the Church Center app as well. And next, Ecclesia, I just want to again share a very heartfelt thank you for your continued generosity uh, as we begin continue to pool our resources to work to bless people both in Houston as well as around the globe who are desperately in need. And we're blown away at what an amazing and generous community you are. And if you'd like to continue in that or if you'd like to participate, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can do that with uh, as simple as a text message. You can text your donation amount to the number 84321 and you can give that way. You can also give through the Church Center app or you can go to ecclesiahouston.org give and you can participate there. Uh, but we're blown away by your generosity and we want to say thank you for that. And lastly, Ecclesia, um, I want to uh, welcome and invite a space for us to uh, receive a message from God's word from our lead pastor, Chris C. We're so grateful to be in this season where we're working through Ecclesiastes, which is such a beautiful, sometimes peculiar book. Uh, but my hope and prayer for you is that you see some new things today, that uh, the scriptures open up a new reality and a new possibility for you in what's always been there. Uh, so may you hear directly from God as Chris speaks and as he reads the scriptures with us and as he teaches. We love you, Ecclesia. Can't wait to see you. God bless. Ecclesia, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm thrilled to be able to teach you again. I don't know if I tell you often enough, I love my job. Um, even in a pandemic year, my job is better when I'm drinking coffee up here. I've realized it's almost a year. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's almost a year. Uh, a year since I've had Paper Co. Coffee and, uh, and been in this building and looked at your amazing faces. 
And uh, I can't wait to see your faces again. I want to take off our masks. I want to see your whole face. Is anybody else getting to the place that you're starting to realize like, I'm forgetting what people look like because I'm not seeing their face and I, I miss you. But what I wanted to tell you was, I love my job because I get to teach you books like this. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, as I told you last week, is a part of the wisdom literature. And this is what that means. It means it's practical. Uh, books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and James in the New Testament are this place where the rubber meets the road in our life. It's what life is about. And these passages fall perfectly as we look forward uh, to a week where we'll start Lent. And next Wednesday, we'll celebrate Ash Wednesday. It's gonna look a little different this year, but there are many opportunities for you to begin Lent. And I'm gonna talk to you today about what Lent is about. But the good thing is the church knew before you entered into Lent, before you went into the desert, if you were gonna go into the desert and go camping, which I'm not a camper, you may be, I might be a glamper if I really learned how to do it, but I'm not a camper. But if you're gonna go into the desert and it's gonna be hard, you know what you're gonna do before you go into a hard season? You're gonna party. And that's what Mardi Gras is about. That's what Fat Tuesday is about. Now, Mardi Gras looks different this year, uh, but we're in a passage where we're gonna learn what's it look like to party, to celebrate, to enter into Lent. And all of it is just rich and practical. It's truly a manifesto for American Christians. It's like it was written for us today because Solomon was the richest, wisest man that ever lived. He, had, he was extravagant in every way. And I hate to tell you, America, but we're pretty extravagant by worldly standards. Even the poor among us, you'll remember as I travel across the globe, I've had people ask me through the years over and over in places where they desperately need clean water, that they've heard stories that Americans have so much clean water that we flush our toilets with it. They think, how could you be so wasteful, right? And we're extravagant in so, so many ways. When I traveled to Havana, Cuba, I was reminded, you see these 1957 Chevys. It's one of my favorite places to visit in the world. The food's great, the culture's great, the jazz is amazing. And you get into a taxi and every taxi is the same. It's a 1957 Chevy. I don't know how many 57 Chevys you've ridden around in, but um, probably there are a few car collectors that may have some, but most of us, since 1957, I have been through a lot of cars. Cars are disposable for us. The world is disposable for us. Masks are disposable. Uh, the things that we're buying our food in right now, disposable. We throw it away. And Solomon lived a life that was so extravagant and so decadent that the wisdom he has, I think, speaks directly to some of the things we face as American Christians. This is what I'd like you to think about as you, you hear this book and hear this teaching. Solomon's come to the end of his life. He's old, he's wise, and he's thought about what are the things I wanna pass on to you so you don't make the same mistakes. And so I'm gonna, again, we're gonna dive through three chapters this week. We're gonna look at chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven. And Solomon is transitioning in this book as he talks about life under the sun. And this is what he says in chapter five. He says, as the saying goes, those who love money will never be satisfied with money. And those who love riches will never be happy with what they have. Was true for Solomon, it's true today. What's he saying? If you love money, you'll never have enough money. You think if I get this much money, I'll be content. And you hit that marker and you want more and you want more and you want more and your appetite is never satisfied. He says, this too is fleeting. The more goods there are, the more people there are to consume them. How does any of this really benefit the owners except that they can gaze proudly on their possessions, right? He says, what, what good is it to own all these things, right? What do you do? You just look at them and, 
and it gives you some satisfaction that you own them. And, and hear this, what he's saying is under the sun, apart from God, your things are just things. He's going to make a, a comment in a minute that'll help us understand better how things can be important. He says, sweet sleep comes to those who work, which is so true, whether they've eaten a lot or just a little. Maybe you're trying to lose weight too, and the only way I can do it is I just keep going all day. If I keep going all day, I'm so tired that even if I just eat a little, I'm so tired I sleep anyway, right? There, there's nothing like the feeling of working hard all day and getting a good night's sleep. But the abundance of the rich, he says, it keeps them awake at night. What happens when you have a lot? You gotta worry about what you have. But then he says, then it dawned on me that this is good and proper to eat and drink and to find good in all the toil that we undertake under the sun during the few days God has given. This is our lot in life. This is what Solomon began to realize. There is an opportunity to look at what you have and appreciate it. And this is what I'll tell you, the things um, that you own, they can either own you or you can own them, or you can also see them as a gift from God. There are certain things in my house that when I look at them, I'm reminded like, wow, God gave that to me. That's a gift. I know the difference. Maybe you do too. Um, I've committed the sin of gluttony more than once. Don't look surprised. But I'll tell you, I know the difference between gluttony. Gluttony for me usually is when I stress eat. Um, I'm eating to distract myself. I'm eating to divert myself. I also know what it's like to eat a great meal and to eat it slowly and to enjoy every bite and every bite, right? Um, my son Christian brought home some of that Borson cheese. He ran to the grocery store, right? I don't know if you've eaten that. We both were looking at each other and we paired it beautifully with Cool Ranch Doritos, by the way. That cheese is so good, right? And you taste it, right? I know what it's like to taste it and go, wow. God made that cheese for me, right? And it overloads my taste buds and my pleasure. And I know what it's like to go, thank you, God, for that. Like that tasted really, really good. It was a surprise. He brought it home because he knew his dad was trying to avoid it. And he wanted to just tempt me and he wanted to enjoy it with me. And when we enjoyed it together, it was truly like a worship moment. The things we own, the pleasures we experience. Solomon says there is an opportunity to appreciate them as coming from God. And that's how we want to live. He goes on in chapter six and says this, it's better to enjoy what our eyes see than to long for what our roving appetites desire. He's saying contentment is actually possible. It's actually a possibility that we can be fully content with what we have. And it would be so much better to look at our house, look at our home, look at our pantry, what we've been given and say, wow, God, thank you. Than to do what we often do, which is focus on what we don't have. We look at our house and we think, if I only had this. And, and it's programmed into our culture. The, the truth is, Ecclesia, if I were to cut to the heart of it for many of us, we want to say we're Christians, but our true religion has been consumerism. It, we, we just think, if I could buy that thing, and every commercial tells us, if you had this refrigerator, if you had this wine cooler, if you had this car, you'd be really happy. And you might be for a very short period of time, right? You, you get that car and you think it's amazing. And then if you, especially if you bought it on credit and you got to make that payment every month, that car does not bring happiness. And it's a consumeristic lie. And Solomon knew it even back then. He said, this too is fleeting. It's like trying to embrace the wind, right? You can't hug the wind. The wind will pass you by. And then in chapter seven, he makes another turn. And this is a beautiful chapter. I want to encourage you this week. Read it all, read it again and think about it. This is what he says. And let me just 
invite you into a few of the highlights. He says, a good name is worth more than the finest perfume. Isn't it a great thing to think there are people that they look at your life and for them to look at your life and say, he or she has lived a good life. They're honorable. What they do has meaning. They're people of their word. He says to have a good name, that's a great thing. And then he says something fascinating. He says, in the same way, it's better to go to a funeral. He says, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Uh, some translations say, it's better to go to a funeral than a day of feasting. What, what's he saying? Um, we all want to go to a party. And I'm hoping, I'm going to tell you on Fat Tuesday, you ought to have a party. Even if it's a virtual party, you ought to have some kind of a party. But he says, parties are great, but you know, funerals are even better. Why? Well, one, they're authentic and real. Two, this is what happens at the end of life. He, Solomon's commented on these chapters multiple times. He's reminded us in chapters five and six, you're going to leave the world the same way you came into it. You came in naked, you're going to leave naked. You're not taking anything with you. Now, we may dress you up and make it look like and put you in a really expensive coffin, which is a really bad investment, by the way. I'd rather you build my coffin or cremate me. Like, let's don't spend money on those things. Solomon says, it's an illusion. You can't take anything with you. But you know what happens at a funeral? You learn. If you listen at a funeral, you learn from people's life, from their mistakes, from their successes. He says, funerals are a great thing. He says, sorrow beats foolish laughter. Again, he says, you'd be better at a funeral than a comedy club, right? I think I'd love to be at a comedy club, but at a funeral, right? You, you get to engage the fact that you too one day will die. So if you're going to die, how do you want to live, right? There's not a better question that you could be asked. He goes on and says, embracing sadness somehow gladdens our hearts. Isn't that interesting? If you're willing to embrace sadness, there are a lot of us out there that we're programmed to, when something comes into our mind that makes us sad, we push it away. Um, when we, we see somebody, a coworker that's been through a recent loss, we go the other way. We don't want to engage, how are you doing since you lost your wife? Right? We, we don't want to engage it. We're, we're afraid of it. I often walk with families that go through silent suffering, things like a miscarriage that people didn't know they were pregnant and so they suffer silently. And what I remind them continually is that if you're not willing to feel the pain of that loss, right? What happens is you kind of numb yourself and the next time that comes around that you get to experience joy, the joy won't be the same. You'll be numb, your heart gets hard. And you know what sorrow does? It keeps our hearts soft. I wanna be around soft-hearted people. They feel their own pain and the pain of others. And Solomon knew it was important. He says, it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than a song written by fools. None of us want to hear, you missed it. You didn't do that right. But we all need people in our life that remind us, hey, that wasn't your best moment. Like, I've seen you better. Like, you can do better. I love you. Now, if you're in the place to rebuke, do it out of love and do it gently because none of us like it. And especially in a season where things are, uh, are very thin for us, how we do it's really important. But it, we're all going to have to learn how to accept rebuke. He talks about the laughter of fools and how meaningless it is. He reminds us that oppression can turn the wise into fools. He says, we learn from suffering. I don't want to suffer. You don't want to suffer. 
But he says, when we do suffer, when we go through hardships, it does make us stronger. It gives us clarity about how we want to live. Or he says, a bribe can do the opposite. It can damage the noblest heart. If you want to take a shortcut and you want to do it the wrong way, I promise you it won't pay off. Right? Let's do it the right way. Sometimes it's the hard way. Then he tells us this. Remember it. He says, don't be quick to anger. For anger sits comfortably in the lap of fools. When, when we're all a bit fed up, it's just quick to see a switch flip for us. Maybe it's in traffic. Somebody cuts in front of you. I've seen it a lot lately. People just, we're, we're this close to boiling over. I want to encourage you, deal with your pain, deal with your anger, deal with your sadness, because if it comes out at the wrong time and in the wrong place to people that you love, you could create some pain, you could cause some damage um, that could be irrevocable. Let's deal with our hearts. Don't be quick to anger. Be slow to anger and slow to speak in anger. Then in verse 10, Solomon asks a great question. He says, do not ask where have all the good times gone? <laughs> it's funny. This book from Ecclesiastes, he's like, is he reading a script about 2020? Like, that's basically all we've done is sat around going, what happened to the good times? What happened to the good old days? Remember when we used to actually touch and hug and get together and party and, and all of that? Like, don't you remember? Like, where is all that gone? And he says, wisdom knows better than to ask such a thing. What's he saying? He's saying, you've got to be content with what you have, right? You can't focus on what you don't have. And that's hard to do in 2020. But don't ask this question of where have all the good times gone? He's saying instead, you know, embrace what I think is the theme of Mardi Gras, right? It's laissez le bon temps rouler, right? You've heard it before. If you're in Louisiana, you heard it all the time. Let the good times roll. Let the good times roll. And you know what? The good times aren't exactly like the old times, but you know what you need to do this week? Play a board game with your kids, uh, create a little poker tournament, do something really fun and let the good times roll. Put on my friend Ben Rector's song. There's been a song for the sermon every week. I know you were waiting for it. What's the song this week? It's my friend Ben Rector's song. Let the good times roll. Pull it up on Spotify. You'll love it and dance to it. And you know what you need to do this week and I need to do this week? Get the people you love together and have a little dance party, right? In your house, put on your favorite music. We love in my house that we have one of those Amazon devices. I'm not gonna say her name because it'll set it off for all of you. But we tell her what to play for us, right? At any point, any mood we're in, we just say, I wanna hear that Harry Connick Jr. song and boom, it comes on. And you know what we can end up doing sometimes? We can end up dancing, even if we're cleaning the house, right? We're just kind of bebopping around and it's a good thing. This week, will you relax? Will you laugh a little bit? And will you let the good times roll? That's a part of Mardi Gras. That's a part of Lent. And that's what I wanna invite you into. Many of you are wondering, what will Lent be like this year? Um, let me tell you what Lent should never be anyway. It should not be a punishment because you're bad or you're sinful. That's not what Lent is about. Lent is about um, disrupting your rhythm so you can hear God in a new way. It is about fasting from some things so that you can see things more clearly and so that you realize and I realize what I need to know that I'm not the center of the world. That I shouldn't wake up every day and get to do what I do, which is, what do I want to eat today, right? And if I want Korean barbecue, you know what? I can have it. And if I want tacos from my favorite taco stand, I can have it. And if I want fried chicken, I'm sorry, I could go on and on in this part of the sermon. I tend to get what I want. And in Lent, we simplify things a bit. This is what I want to encourage you to do this Lent. First, 
celebrate Fat Tuesday before we start. And then as we enter into Lent, will you find this um, balance um, for really um, observing what you're already fasting from? People are asking me, like, what are you going to give up for Lent this, this year? That's what I'll tell you. I'm going to give up some things I love, concerts. I'm going to give up the rodeo, and I'm going to give up international travel this year for Lent, okay? That's what I'm going to give up. Well, you didn't choose those things. No, I didn't. I didn't, but I'm going to fast from them. And uh, I, I don't need to pile on myself and go, you know what, I'm going to give up coffee. You know what's going to happen if I give up coffee? You guys are going to hate me. And uh, the people in my house are going to hate me. I've given up enough this year, right? And you have too. So you can add to that if you like. Pray about it. Ask God what you ought to give up. But you know what? You could just observe the things that you're already giving up and acknowledge those to God and offer them as worship to God. Solomon explains, he says, when times are good, enjoy them and be happy. When times are bad, think about this. God makes both good and bad times. They all come from God. The bad times are hard. It's not what I would choose. I learn a lot from them. You can learn a lot from them as well. He says, in those bad times, no one really knows what's coming next. That's what the world feels like right now. Then he explains in verse 15 of chapter seven, in the fleeting time I've lived on this earth, I've seen just about everything, the good dying. Recently, I led a wine to water, uh, wine tasting for one of our physicians in the church. He's an oncologist at MD Anderson. And I asked him a question I've thought about for a long time. I don't understand it, but I, I got a lot of reasons I hate cancer, but let me tell you one of the main reasons I hate cancer. It seems to only happen to nice people. Like, why, why, why do all the mean people seem to never get cancer? It's the nicest people I know that get cancer. And I asked him, is this your experience? And he, his jaw dropped. He said, we, we talk about it all the time. Like, we, we don't get it. Solomon says, it's one of the awful parts of life. Good people die. They die in their goodness and the wicked are living to a ripe old age. I don't get it. I don't know if the meaner you are, the longer you live, but I'd prefer, right? I'd prefer the mean people to die. I don't want anybody to die, but cancer is hard, right? And when people die needlessly, it's painful. He says, so what's my advice? He says, don't act overly righteous and don't think yourself wiser than others. But he says, but do not be too wicked or too foolish. Why die before it's time? What's he saying? He says, there's this balancing act between being wise and righteous and being fun and risk-taking. And he goes, balance it. Don't be too righteous. Don't think too seriously of yourself. Have some fun. Take some risk. Don't take too much risk. You don't want to die early, right? It's great advice, really practical advice. He says, grasp both sides of things and keep the two in balance for anyone who fears god won't give in to the extremes he says don't become this hyper religious person nobody wants to be around and don't be this crazy risk taker uh, that thinks you're making an adventure movie right and you're you're gonna die needlessly he says take some risk and have some fun and take god seriously and be a balanced person then he ends this chapter this way he says here's what i've figured out god made humanity for good but we humans go out and scheme our way into trouble. He says, God made the world good. He gave us boars and cheese, right? He, he gave us good things. And you know what, Ecclesia? Solomon's right. You're not going to take any of your stuff with you. And it's just stuff. But if you will look at it, like I get to do often, I got a favorite candle by my nightstand um, during quarantine that's just... I don't know what it is, the smell of that candle. I wake up 
in the morning, I'm ready to light it. There's something about the smell and fragrance. And I'm just reminded like, God gave me the ability to smell. And if you get COVID and you lose your smell, you're reminded quickly that smell matters. Whatever it is, will you appreciate it as though it came from God? Because it did come from God. Whatever you taste, whatever you see. Will you slow down this week and observe the things that you are going to give up and let? Some by choice and some not by your choice. And as we celebrate Fat Tuesday and we turn the corner to Ash Wednesday, we're gonna enter together into a solemn season. Our preaching and teaching will reflect it. Our opportunity for our kids to participate in a Lenten camp where they're gonna come together and learn and grow spiritually. It's a really good thing. Solomon was onto something. Life under the sun is meaningless. All the things that you see are meaningless, but if the smell of a candle, if the taste of borson cheese reminds you that God loves you and blesses you, and you're connected to the one who made you, even the things of this earth will be meaningful and pleasurable. And I want to join with you in living a life of true meaning. Will you give me a moment to pray for you? And I'm gonna pray for you as you enter into this week, the season of Lent. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that even in the church calendar, we knew there was a time to have fun. There was a time for Fat Tuesday. And there's gonna be a time in our house this week for poker tournaments and Monopoly and dance parties. We're gonna do some things that are fun because we believe we're made for it. And as we celebrate, we're gonna be reminded that all good things come from you. And as we enter a journey on Wednesday into a Lenten season, a season that will lead us ultimately to the cross and to a celebration of the resurrection on Easter that we're praying we get to do really well as a church. As we walk that path together, we ask you to teach us, to shape our lives, to help us see that we are a people made for meaning and purpose. We thank you, Lord, for the many, many blessings around us. We pray this together in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And so, Ecclesia, as we've just heard from uh, Pastor Chris, it's my privilege and honor to get to invite us to the table, to the place where we get to remember Christ's death and resurrection and celebrate it together from wherever we are. And so I wanna invite you to take a moment, to take a deep breath, and to actually reflect and meditate and consider uh, where our hearts are and to prepare our hearts for coming to the table. And I wanna invite you to pray this prayer of confession with me. Lord, you have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace. Amen. And so Ecclesia, as we come to the table with whatever elements you may have in your home, uh, today I've got uh, a little bar. Uh, I wanna invite you to take a moment to give thanks, just as Jesus did when he gathered with his closest disciples and he gave thanks and he broke the bread.
And then after the meal, he also took a cup with whatever you have. Uh, and similarly, he gave thanks and he blessed God and he gave it to his disciples. And he encouraged them that every time they ate and drank uh, this meal, uh, that they would remember him. And so as we eat and drink today, we remember his death and his resurrection. We remember his forgiveness for all of us and for all people in all times and all places. And so Ecclesia, may we taste and see his forgiveness and receive his, for his forgiveness and that peace. This is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. We love you, Ecclesia. Lost everything, bound by death's hollow sting. Does your compassion not extend to me? Where are you? Where are you? Oh, bring me solace, bring me rest, my King. I'll march on and sing Into the valley I will seek Your peace lay on my chest And bring me rest, my King Where the storm has come and gone Yet the sun provides no Prepare your shelter when there's nothing left to come home to Mercy shine through Oh, bring me solace, bring me my King Even in defiance I'll march on and sing Into the valley I will seek Your peace lay on my chest And bring me rest My King
And now, Ecclesia, it's my honor to invite you into a time where we get to pause every week and we get to pray a special prayer of blessing over the kids and the young ones in our lives. Uh, and so I wanna invite you to take a moment and call those kids. Uh, if you have them with you in your space uh, around you, uh, I always love to put my hand on them. Uh, as we say this, if you don't have any kids with you, that's okay. Uh, pull up a picture or just pull up the picture of them in your mind of uh, those nieces, nephews, neighbors down the street or around the globe, wherever they are. Uh, and just join me in this prayer. This is a really brief prayer, but it's really powerful. And it comes from Romans 15, chapter or verse 13. And this is something I would be praying over Moses and Aiden. And I pray that God, the source of all hope, will infuse your life with an abundance of joy and peace in the midst of your faith so that your hope will overflow through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ecclesia kids, we love you. God bless. Our benediction today is a blessing by Jan Richardson entitled, In the Leaving. In the leaving, in the letting go, let there be this to hold on to at the last. The enduring of love, the persisting of hope, the remembering of joy, the offering of gratitude, the receiving of grace, the blessing of peace. Ecclesia, friends, may you dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.